Oh hi, and welcome to 2019's inaugural Uncaring Universe episode. This is the podcast hosted by me, Danny Soulfield waitson in partnership with Tor UK, my favourite publishers of sci-fi, fantasy and horror. So... Just before the new year, we did an episode on the best books of 2018, and my guest was a friend of mine, Lulu Cardim, and it was such a fun episode, I had so much fun chatting to her, and she's so vastly knowledgeable about books, that I decided I had to have her back to discuss the books that we're hyped about for 2019. So, hello everybody, thank you for joining us in this new year, and Lulu, hi, how are you doing? Hi, thanks for having me back. Absolute pleasure. So, yeah, we're going to talk about some books, some of which I have sneakily read because I have the advanced galleys and whatnot. That's uh, nepotism for you. And and then some which I'm just hyped to read that I think will be great. Um, and I think Lulu has the same kind of deal. So mm-hmm. we're going into this a bit blind. I don't know what's on her list. She doesn't really know what's on my list. So we shall see if Lulu has the fantastic taste that I ascribe to her if she agrees with all my picks. <laughs> no um, pressure. No pressure. Or even better, uh, that you have some that I haven't already written down. So <laughs> so without further ado, let's talk about Blood Witch. So I can't remember, Lulu, if you've read any of the Witchland series. I have not, but you've been hyping them a bit recently, so I need to get on that, clearly. I have been hyping them. And yeah, regular listeners will hopefully recognise the Witchlands from listening to the author Susan Dennard join me on the show a couple of months ago, which was a, it was an amazing episode. We talked about evolutionary and ecological world building. Um, Susan used to be a, a marine biologist and, and all sorts. So there's like incredible world building in this series, um, but it's also... It's also your fantasy stuff. So really cool magic system, you know, lots of uh, sudden but inevitable betrayals. And Blood Witch is going to be the third full entry into the series. It's like a kind of annotated law guide, um, which is like book 2.5. But but the series starts with Truth Witch and then follows up with Wind Witch and, yeah, Blood Witch. I don't think it's only going to be a trilogy, um, but it's it's going to put a cap on this kind of this arc and uh again anybody that's read any of them um or follow susan on twitter will know that the blood witch uh, 81 is kind of a big deal so i think a lot of people are excited to to really get to kind of find out what's going on with him you'll be reading it right lulu i will be it's it's <laughs> it's in the big pile the big pile the big pile of books to read do books kind of graduate from the big pile to the short pile and then into your hands, or is it just one big pile? Oh no, my Kindle is like really anally like organized, so I have it all done by genre, and then it moves into to read, and then currently reading. Oh, nice, organized. I like it. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of witch would you be? Because the, the fun thing about um, the Witchlands, and we joked about this when Susan was on the show, uh, she went into kind of crazy detail before she had her first book written about what what powers everyone would have. So. Um, she originally had kind of like barley witches, <laughs> which were people just like magically great at making beer and stuff. So <laughs> you have air witches, you know, fire witches, and then they each have a specialty. What, what would your witch mark be, do you reckon? Um. Oh my God, that's a really difficult question. Um, Massively putting you on the spot, but yeah. What, what, what kind of witch would you be to start with? I'd have to be a word witch, right? 
So okay. my, which I think is, if I remember correctly, that's like under the uh, element of air or ether. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd have just some crazy power to like persuade people through, you know, silver tongue and fantastic writing. That would be See. my ideal witchery. So you'd be a sociopath? Uh, with good taste. Okay, that's fair. I mean, yeah. that's an annoyingly good choice. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think I would have to be like super boring and go for fire because I think there's like a little bit of pyromania in me. Um, and I just want to want to watch the world burn, really. Wow. Punchy. Yeah. <laughs> Punchy choice, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Boldly just putting that out there. I like um, it. Make no bones about it. You know, I like a lot of power and um, fire is pretty yeah. powerful. More power to you. Um, okay, so yeah, what's what's top of your list? What's something you're um, looking forward to in 2019? So I've spoken to you about this. And I think I spoke about it on the podcast last time as well, which is the Monster Baru Comorant. Ah, uh, um, yes. Which is in, it's now graduated to currently reading because I'm about to start and I'm super excited. Um, which is, it's the sequel to the traitor Baruch Comoron, which came out uh, the year before last and made economics actually kind of exciting, um, which I always appreciate. Um, and, and kind of where, where the last one left off, I'm going to try and like avoid spoilers here, but where the last one left off, it, it was kind of clear that there's a lot more to the world that we're going to be seeing in this one, I think. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of implications to the actions that took place at the end of the book that I want to see followed through. Definitely. Definitely. I pretty much put that, almost put that on my list, but I think it came out in the US just before the end of the year didn't it but it comes out i'll allow you to keep it on your list because it doesn't come out in the in the uk until when now soon recently? now now <laughs> now i think i have okay. the i do have the galley for it so yeah but basically i'll i'll allow it i'll allow it on the list um because in Thank some you. shape or form yeah i think i think it hits the uk this year but yeah absolutely uh trade to barry cormorant or however you say it, we'll have to ask Seth one day, uh, was incredible. And I've already made him promise to come back on the show really soon. So, yeah, we can hopefully hear, you know, from from the man himself uh, a little bit more about it. So very good choice. Yeah, massively recommend that series. Okay, what I'm have gonna, you got next? I have next um, something that, is probably for younger readers than a lot of the people listening um, are. It's Dragon Pearl by Yoon Ha Lee. And you might recognize the name Yoon Ha Lee from his Machineries of Empire trilogy, uh, the first book of which was called uh, Nine Fox Gambit, which was military sci-fi like I've never read before. It was mm. so lyrical and inventive. And there was um, uh, there was like a real musical theme. So there was kind of this this army and like if they didn't basically advance in like the right shape and to the right kind of rhythm and things like their force field would collapse so it's it's these crazy ideas um very very cool like very you know uh, political machinations and machiavellian but he's now written basically a a, like middle school slash middle grade uh book which is another another space opera and it tells the tale of Min, who is a human, but basically has fox magic. 
so she can shapeshift, but she's mostly forbidden to by her family uh, for fear of it raising suspicion and prejudice and things like that. Um, but basically, she ends up following her brother into the stars and goes on a mini space opera. And I just love the idea that he's gone from this really quite extreme military sci-fi complex to uh, like a really nice, yeah, young reader. And I think um, maybe some listeners will have kids and it could be the perfect book, I think, to read, you know, to a little one where you could actually enjoy it yourself. It's not Pepper the Pig, it's a space opera, but you can read it to your kids. Uh, and I think I think that's super cool. So I'm really looking forward to checking that out. I think it's really cool to see space opera being done for middle grade uh, people as well. Um, that's not something you see very often. And I love reading middle grade fiction, actually, personally. So I'm yeah. really looking forward to this. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Your turn. So The Last by Hannah Jameson is a book I've been really looking forward to, um, which is about a character called John who is on a trip in Switzerland when the world ends. And 20 20 people remain in his hotel, uh, kind of surviving there. And then one day, one of the young girls who's staying there is murdered, meaning that someone in the hotel is the murderer. And I am a complete sucker for locked room mysteries and <laughs> for horror within houses. So I'm, I think it's going to be amazing. It's uh, Hannah Jameson's debut novel. So I'm really excited to see kind of what she's about. Um, and for once, it's a book that's coming out in the UK first. Hey, makes a change. Yeah. So that will be out, I think, tomorrow, in fact. Ooh, very topical. That sounds mm-hmm. super cool. Yeah, post-apocalyptic or post-cataclysmic um, locked room murder mystery in the Alps. Yes. That's a killer elevator pitch. Uh-huh, and extremely specific. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Yeah, I'll have to look into that one for sure. Okay. Up next for me is Ruin of Kings by Jen Lian? Lion? Forgive me, Jen. I don't know how to pronounce your surname. But I will have you on the podcast soon, and I'll get it right uh, then when I ask you. So Ruin of Kings is, uh, is Jen's debut, and it's the first of a planned quintology, so it's not like she's setting her sights low or anything. Um, <laughs> it's the first of five books in a, in a series called uh, A Chorus of Dragons. And it's kind of, in the best possible way, it's like kitchen sink fantasy. It just has every idea in it, every kind of fantasy trope. But, you know, she twists them all in interesting ways. So, you know, yes, there is like a a pauper prince who is also a, a kind of slightly magical thief. And there's a prophecy and, you know... There's dragons, obviously. (laughs) There's all of the stuff you might expect, but um, what makes it really unique is it's got this this crazy framing narrative where, and this is not a spoiler. This is the first the first line of the book. Basically, Um, it's it's being told half mainly from the pauper prince's perspective, Kieran, his name is, and then the other half, weirdly, is told through the perspective of his jailer who is a shape-shifting demon who basically kind of fills in the bits that he doesn't want to talk about or doesn't feel comfortable talking about. So throughout the the narrative, he kind of goes by two different names. There's all these different perspectives on it. Uh, it's a bit of a um, head F 
uh, <laughs> first glance, but once you get into the rhythm of it, yeah, it's it's very very cool. So uh, very very strong debut, and yeah, four more books to <laughs> to look forward to in that one. So wow, that sounds really cool. Um, I think um, I think a lot of people will be in danger of bouncing off it like on the first couple of pages just because of this this multiple narrator and framing narrative and stuff but yeah i do urge you to to stick with it because it it kind of settles in okay that sounds yeah really fun et toi um so uh next up for me is ancestral night by elizabeth bear which i love the title for um but that's not the only reason (laughs) i'm looking forward to it um so it's about Hamy who uh discovers evidence of a crime uh, and relics of ancient technology on a routine salvage mission um and Hamy finds that she's the only one who can protect the world from its implications um which sounds like super generic but I really put a lot of trust in Elizabeth Bear um, taking me on like a pretty wild ride because if you've read any of her other kind of fantasy or or sci-fi, it's always incredible and well-written and character-driven. And it's nice to see kind of some space opera with with women in charge. Um, uh, And I hear talk of space pirates being involved, which I am always here for. Yeah. I don't know if any of us can get enough of space pirates. I think I think by this point, once you are a really avid reader of sci-fi and fantasy, you have to stop worrying about tropes, don't mm-hmm. you? And because you know there are so only so many tropes that you can work with, without it just being a totally different genre. It's all about how you put a spin on things and that kind of unique flavor. So, yeah, I think you're going to miss out on like a lot of people subverting tropes in really interesting ways if you avoid anything that sounds kind of tropey. Yeah, exactly. And usually the most fun to be had is when someone does subvert tropes. Mm. Like when they set you up, you know, for this one expectation and then you see how they twist it or surprise you, you know. That's yeah, what exactly. I kind of yeah love the most almost. That sounds very cool. Speaking of women in sci-fi, both in the book and behind the book or behind the pen or computer <laughs> or typewriter or what have you, um, this is one that I have started reading. I've not finished it yet, but... I'm already super enamored with it. It's uh, A Memory Called Empire by Arcady Martine, and it's her fiction debut. It's definitely space opera. It's definitely political. It's somewhere between Anne Leckie's Ancillary Justice with the, again, without giving too much away, the the kind of semi-split personality not even split, like multiple personalities, um, just inhabiting the same body or mind. And and I think kind of traitor Barry Cormoran and like Seth Dickinson's work in, in the way it deals with Empire and the machineries of Empire. So I guess it's a bit like Hune Harley as well. Anyway, long story short, it is brilliantly written. It, it sets up this huge, huge, almost universe-spanning empire that, you know, just seems ripe for a fall of some kind. And it follows um, the protagonist, whose name I've actually forgotten. But anyway, she has an imago, which is essentially the personality and memories of her predecessor. She's an ambassador to this empire um, stored in her brain. Uh, that she can communicate with but also 
you know, they have to learn to kind of share the same body um, whilst uncovering essentially a, a kind of pan-galactic murder mystery. So it, it's just so clever and easy to read despite all the really high concept ideas. So I think this is going to be a big one for anyone that likes, yeah, like pretty hard sci-fi. Yeah, I've read some of Arkady Martin's like short fiction and it's incredible. So I'm really excited to see what she can do when she can breathe in, in, in a novel. Tell me about her short fiction, because this is the first thing of hers I've read. So she's done a load of short fiction um, published in like really great venues. Um, and it's all very kind of... Uh... <laughs> Hang on, my brain has stalled out completely. <laughs> Trying to think of the word. Um, it's all kind of quiet but intense. Okay, nice. Is how quiet I would. intensity. Yeah, all, all the stuff I have read. I haven't read all of her short fiction, just some smatterings here and there. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, after this, I'll definitely be checking out her, her short fiction. And, um, and yeah, Arcadia will be coming on the podcast in April, which is when the book is out. Ooh. So super excited to grill her on it. And, uh, and and yeah, I should hopefully have finished it by then. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, is there anything else on your list? I mean, there's obviously so many books that we're all looking forward to. And, you know, this is just a small selection of the stuff that kind of springs to mind. But is there anything else that leaps um, out for you? There are two smaller ones. Well, not small in, in size, but, but two ones I'm kind of earmarked for later, which is... Uh, Black Leopard, uh, Red Wolf by Marlon James, which I don't know if you've read Brief Killing, uh, A Brief History of Seven Killings. No, I haven't. Okay, it came out like a few years ago, won the Man Booker. It's incredible. Um, and this is a similarly large cast, and it's been called an African Game of Thrones, Ooh. which I'm not even the biggest Game of Thrones fan, but. I'm always kind of intrigued by anything that is something Game of Thrones. <laughs> so um, I'm really looking forward to that. And, and because Marlon James, you know, the, the uh, a Brief History of Seven Killings is told from a huge amount of, uh, a huge variety of uh, points of view, um, this book also has a huge cast of characters. So I think he can handle it really well. And I kind of want to see what he does with that. Um, and then the other small one is A Thousand One by Saladin Ahmed, which I have no idea if it's actually coming out in 2019, but Goodreads says it's coming out in 2019. Um, and that's the sequel to uh, The Throne of Crescent Moons, which came out in, I think, 2014. So it's been a long time coming and I've really got my fingers crossed, although I know uh, Saladin Ahmed is very busy with other projects. How dare he? Okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds really good. I haven't haven't actually read that one, but I know that you were telling me the other day how good it was. So it's going on the list, going on my long list. No, I'll put it on my short list, seeing as it's a recommendation yeah, from it. you. Okay, so um wanted to leave a little bit of time because last time we had you on the podcast, it was just very much chatting about other people's books. But you are a guest and you are a writer and more besides. And we've had a couple of questions from you from the Twitter audience. Um, and I think it'd be really cool to put them to you and yeah, basically just uh, hear a bit about what you're up to. So uh, one question 
which was really interesting from um, someone with a very graphic and hard to read Twitter handle. Don't call me something it's cut off. Don't call me surely. Okay, airplane reference, I guess. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, whoever he is, he says for you to answer, what are three things that guy writers consistently get wrong about gal characters? Hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think the list of this would be like as long as my arm, but okay. Yeah, but you um, get three. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to <laughs> have to shorten that down, truncate a little bit. Um, so the first obvious thing that comes to my mind, and I know it, it's said a thousand times, but I still see it happening, um, which is boobs. She um, walks boobily down the stairs. <laughs> To be honest, that's an accurate um, description of how I walk downstairs. But um, <laughs> the, the fact is, is most of us are not aware of our boobs most of the time, except 24/7. going up and down stairs or running for the bus, in which case we, you know, have the, the boob running stance, which is locking your arms over your boobs. Am I getting too graphic? No, not um, at all. Uh, that's very, uh, you know, uh, prosaic. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. There's 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 a position you you assume to be able to run, and that's with a bra on. Um, um, and a lot of the kind of descriptions of boobs seem to be braless, which is just shocking, because we've worn bras for centuries, um, and anyone with a kind of sizable handful is going to be <laughs> in a bra most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're there for a reason, right? Yeah, I mean, you know people were athletes i think in the 14th century bc or something were using wraps for their for their boobs yeah because nobody is competing in sports or traveling or going horseback riding without something on them no i mean um, the amazonians um you know cut one off but that's extreme right i mean yeah. you, you no longer need to do that to be a good archer or horse yeah. rider or both exactly you can you can just you know, use a wrap or something, or, or multiple sports bras if necessary. But um, the the other thing about boobs I really hate is is uh, this idea that women know they're aroused by their nipples being hard, which is <laughs> not one they don't always get hard, and two they you know um, that isn't the way we know. No, you know we just know. Um, we're not kind of a mystery unto ourselves. We know mostly what's going on in our body. Yeah. Um, the other one is, um, and this has been talked about a thousand times as well, but it's still happening. So it's strong women, that kind of idea of the strong female character that's very kind of stereotypical, um, and they have to be physically fit with no flaws, which is just yeah. not the case. Um, and what, what annoys me most about those characters is that they don't seem to have any drive or ambition to do anything. They just answer the call to adventure and that's it. That's their only driving motivation. Um, so why, why are they so strong? Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's emotional strength and there's the strength for preservation and there's leadership and there's just a whole bunch of, of variations that, that can be used. Um, that and makes I, sense. Yeah, and I think it's fine also to have weak characters. 
I think people are scared now of writing any woman as weak, but but the fact is, is like men, women can be weak as well. Yeah, um, I mean, any bo- character would be boring if they didn't have any flaws. Yeah, exactly. And some of us are much more flawed than like other people. So uh, it's good to show that. Um, and I think something I I won't name any names, but, but in a book I read recently, what what really pissed me off was. Um, the women didn't really have any purpose other than to serve the male character. Mm. Um, they show up in the plot, they have the same, like they either have no motivation or they have the same motivations as the men. But in my mind, even if they have, you know, the same goal as the male character or the other characters, they're not necessarily motivated by the same thing or they don't want it for the same reason. Um, and I think that's often lacking and, and being motivated by a kind of competitiveness within kind of female groups is also not a valid motivation. <laughs> that's I think that's a really great point about writing characters in general is that characters can share the same goals. But if you make characters share the same goals and the same motivations for getting those goals then it's kind of pointless, right? Then it's clear that one character is just totally, like, uh, a buttress, you know, for Mm -hmm. the main character. Um, But, yeah, it sounds like you're describing every recent sci-fi Hollywood film ever that, you know, doesn't pass the Bechdel test where, yeah, all of the women just exist to help the male character. Yeah, Or, or worse, you know they need the male character to be able to achieve their goal yeah exactly okay good i think yeah we could all do with remembering those points male and female alike but especially male (laughs) (laughs) um good question very interesting question i'd like to hear the rest of that list another time um yeah maybe you can do a twitter thread or something because yeah, it's, it's not always, I guess, the easiest question, even though it's one of the most important questions uh, for men to ask women, uh, especially the writers. So, yeah, it could be interesting to delve deeper into that. Um, okay, so one more question, but just before that one, a quick shout-out to Julia V, who quite rightly pointed out that Margaret Atwood um, potentially has a new book coming out this year. Yes. The, uh, the teased sequel to Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. I think. Is it that? It is. It is. Yeah. That. I wonder if she was talking about something else. So uh, is that definite? I don't... Yeah. It is definite. Whoa. Yeah, it's got a publication date and everything. That is tremendously exciting. When is the publication date? Um, bear with me. It's okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll write it in the description. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but this year, that's the main sometime. thing. I think near, near the end of the year. Um, which. Blimey. Yeah, it's exciting, but I'm also kind of terrified. Yeah, I mean, if it was anyone else, I'd be terrified. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, I reckon Margaret can handle it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and given given what she said publicly about her involvement in the TV series, it seems like it's not like she's, uh, you know, suddenly acting on this kind of whim of the fandom. It's like, you know, she endorses the TV series and she says that she was consulted and and she's happy with it but she essentially has no input on it. Mm. So you know frankly I think if you 
if you're an author and like one of your franchises suddenly has a a huge new lease of life and a new audience you know fuck it why not write some more you know (laughs) absolutely you gotta you gotta pick your battles um okay so denise uh boucler says can you give us some more details about the con or bust organization and what they're doing for the sci-fi and fantasy community yeah um cool so one of my jobs is um as a board member for Connor bus and uh their main kind of mission is that we give tickets and as well as funding for people of color to be able to attend conventions specifically sci-fi and fantasy conventions um and some of those uh some of that funding we get through kind of grants or um donations from conventions of their tickets um and we also run a yearly kind of auction that has a lot of cool stuff in it including kind of you know manuscript reads from authors and and critiques from editors and stuff um but you know our main aim is creating a space for people of color at these conventions because it's very often lacking and i mean i am fairly like white passing but i can still feel fairly uncomfortable at conventions when it's a lot of kind of older white men and nobody on the panels is is anything other than than white men um and one of the most rewarding things about the the job is, is that we kind of hear stories of people who have gone to these conventions and it's the first time and it's the only way they would have been able to go um and they're able to kind of mix with their community and give a voice to 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 their own kind of country's writing and meet other people from similar walks of life or completely different ones um so yeah we we're trying really hard to kind of further that um that goal of, of making science fiction and fantasy conventions as diverse as possible because i think if you give people the tools uh they're able to kind of use those and you know get their voice out there how long have you been uh, involved with it? Um, I think as of this week, it's a year. Ah, congratulations, your anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's super cool. <laughs> what, what is the next, the next big con coming up? I'm so out of the con loop. <laughs> well, then, I mean, the, the next big con in the world will be Worldcon, which is in Ireland in August which is very exciting. Um, but in between that, we have, you know, uh, at least in London, we have EasterCon, uh, which obviously takes place over Easter, which is back in London this year, um, which I'll be going to. And, you know, there's also things like Gen Con and, and um, World Fantasy Con uh, in September and stuff. So I think it's hard to say, like, the next big con because they're all, like, pretty big <laughs> Cons and they're all annual, so cool. Okay, but yeah, yeah. People just follow Lulu and uh, and learn yourself. Okay, last one, which I'm going to have to ask you to be slightly quick about because sadly we're running out of time, is from uh, the appropriately perhaps named Jeff Destroyer of Worlds, and he <laughs> says, "What are your writing takeaways, having worked as both a slush reader?" And for anyone that doesn't know, that basically means reading through the kind of pile of unsolicited stuff um, the editors get, and later as an articles editor. Yeah, so both of these roles I've done at Strange Horizons, uh, which is a sci-fi and fantasy literary magazine, but they were years apart. Um, But I think 
both as a sludge pile reader and an editor, uh, something that's important to know is that none of us like saying no. Um, and my greatest fear as a slush pile reader was always turning down something that could have been published. Um, so slush pile lo- readers are looking for any excuse to pass you, pass you up and, and they don't, they're nice people. <laughs> they can feel like the gatekeepers sometimes, but in fact, they're just trying to, you know, find the stuff their editors will love. Um, and the fact is, if it doesn't connect emotionally with us, it's much harder to pass up to the editors with any enthusiasm. Um, so I think my kind of takeaway has always been to write something that's slightly divisive or interesting. And and that's what you know gets the most emotional response. So even if they hate it, there's a chance they'll really love it. Um, and I think as an articles editor, basically, you know, I'm always amazed to find the breadth of experience our readers kind of have. Um, and everyone has a really cool point of view and perspective and should share it. Amazing. That's really reassuring. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, there's some editors I've gotten rejections from and thought, hmm, you don't seem very nice, but I'm sure they're having a bad day. Yeah, of course. If there's one thing I've learned in life, it's to never take anything personally because you just don't know what's happening at the other end, especially like in this day and age of email and whatnot, you know, anything could be happening on the other end of that email. Yeah. And like, you know, expectation is the source of most disappointment, right? If you get a rejection and you know, I've had rejections obviously, um, for all sorts of things, (laughs) uh, you know, game writing gigs, other writing submissions, this, that, and the other, and uh, and yeah, of course, there's always like that part of you that has that pang of like disappointment and kind of fuck you, I'm brilliant. Why don't you want me? But then you just have to think, yeah, there's there's so much that you don't know about the process that the other person is going through. Yeah, I mean, they might have received ten stories that that submission round that were exactly the same, and so exactly. all very similar themed, and, and you or they published something recently, or something's about to be published that's exactly. very similar. Exactly, there's um, a, there's a million things, or it could just be that, you know, um, yeah, yeah, it could be a million things, like you said. <laughs> so yeah, number one takeaway: don't take it personally, you know, and uh, just keep on trucking, basically. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, wow. Well, yeah, like that has flown by, uh, that episode length of time. So we better wrap up there. Thank you so much again for joining me for a second time. It's um, going to be tempting just to have you back every month. But uh, <laughs> yeah, sadly, have to get some other roles on because uh, that's how, how the podcast goes. But yeah, as ever, people follow Lulu on twitter to talk to her more and hear more about all of the awesome stuff she's involved in all the information in the comments and stuff um but in case you can't be bothered to look it's lulu kadim that's l-u-l-u-k-a-d-h-i-m and thank you everyone for listening and yeah we'll be back next month with um uh jen lyons in fact to talk more about ruin of kings so that's going to be really fun. Until then, please, if you can be bothered, but it is super helpful, uh, retweet when we post the episode, leave a review on iTunes, just, you know, generally uh, fan my ego 
um, and help the podcast get out there and the wisdom out there to the people that need it. Much appreciated. Lulu, thank you very much once again. And thank you. Speak to you all soon. Ciao.